Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. How we doing, everybody? My name is Bob Kelly, and I'm here with Rayshon Buchanan, Joe Malkin, Michael Marcangelo, and of course, the greatest producer in the game, Craig D'Alessandro. And welcome to the inaugural episode of the New England Championship Rewrap. This is a show where we will break down not only the most important moments and games of each Boston championship that we have all experienced, but more importantly, the feelings and emotional connection each one of us has with that specific championship. Tonight, jump in our time machine as we start where it all began. The team that was the launch of a dynasty and the first of many for the Boston sports world over the next 20 plus years, the 2001 New England Patriots. a quick program note we had so many memories and feelings associated with this season that it took about three hours to record this podcast so we're doing this season in two parts part one begins now so jacked up for this one this is this is my favorite of the 12 sorry to the red sox the celtics Mm -hmm. the bruins and any of the other five patriots super bowls this this one means the most i think to new england uh and personally it means the most to me and i i told you guys in our chat, I I might cry during this one, uh, but uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna get through it. Listen, I'll tell you what, doing the doing all the research for this one, I got goosebumps at least five, six, seven times just hearing Gino when uh, and the Patriots are Super Bowl champion, like all that yeah. stuff, man. It gives me straight goosebumps, and I'm the least Patriots fan out of everyone here. All right. And even still, even still, this is still one of my favorite Boston championships ever. I mean, even even when Gino Santos uh, yelled, you know, that that famous call. And then you see Antoine Smith run onto the field, Mm -hmm. hands a pumping. Like, Mm -hmm. I I mean, it was just elation uh, because you didn't know how that season was going to end the way it started. And we'll get to that. And, and Bobby will drive us through that over, over this podcast, but you, you just, you didn't know where it was going to go. And that was the best part looking back on it. Right. No, exactly. Especially leading into the season. Like I said, this is the most improbable one of the entire championships. Now, if you guys remember the Patriots did go to the Super Bowl back in 1996, uh, we're just going to set the stage a little bit for you. Get in your time machine. We're going back to 2001 guys. All right. So if you remember 1996 Patriots go to the Super Bowl, lose to the Packers. Big two and it leaves town right after that Super Bowl. And ever since, it's been an absolute downfall for the Patriots. Uh, they hire Pete Carroll. He comes in and leaves them 10 and 6. They lose in the wild card. 
nine and seven, then eight and eight. And at that point, you could just see that downward trend of this team. There was no upside to it. There was no excitement. So they decided to fire Pete Carroll, and they brought in what we didn't know at the time was the greatest head coach in Patriots history. Now, Mike, do you remember the day Bill Belichick was hired? Yeah, I do. I, I did not know who Bill Belichick was at that point in time. But, like, now it's just – I remember, like, that huge controversy because he was supposed to be the coach of the Jets. He was the coach of the Jets. He was the coach of the Jets for, like, right. uh, for one day, and then he's gone, and now he's on the Patriots podium. I just kept thinking, like, who is this? Like, what are they doing? And then, I mean, we'll talk about it more later, but the fir- after the first season, you're like, maybe they made a mistake. To expand off what Mike just said, the, the rumor and the story is that – Bill Belichick was offered the job by Robert Kraft on a napkin at a restaurant that he offered him the job and, and he ended up taking it. And what's interesting, and we, we've all done the research and watched the uh, America's game, 2001 New England Patriots, but you you look back at that. And I mean, Bill Belichick was on Parcell's staff that Super Bowl year in 96. He was coaching the defensive backs. I mean, he had been here before. And like Mike said, we didn't know who the heck he was. I mean, you can look at the Patriots uh, coaching staff now, and they're they're a little more well-known because we got to figure out who to blame if something happens. But, right. I, I mean, we didn't know who he was in 96. And then, in, in, as Mike just said, in 2001, who the heck is this guy? Well, and even, even to that same point, you know what I mean? Even in that first 2000 season, I mean, granted, he did draft the best quarterback ever in his first draft ever. In the sixth round, again, we didn't know it at the time how great that pick was. But even that first season, he went 5-11. and 11. He was on the hot seat after that first season. Like, this was not something that anyone saw coming for even, even one second. You know what I mean? That team was in dismay going into that 2001 season. Belichick was on the hot seat. People were wondering if Bledsoe, which actually going back a little bit, Bledsoe was given about, a, what was it, over – it was one of the biggest contracts at the time. And people yeah. were already questioning that, seeing seeing this team downfall from 10 and 6, 9 and 7, 8 and 8. People were like, is this a $100 million quarterback even worth it at this point? This team was a mess going into the 2000 season. And, and it's crazy to say that because the word mediocre and the word New England Patriots at this point in our lives – just don't get said together. But at that time, it wasn't just said together. It was just facts. That team was mediocre going into that season. Well, the Patriots were almost the laughing stock of the NFL for so many years. I mean, a team that was founded mm-hmm. in 1960, uh, you know, played, couldn't find a stadium. I mean, you know, they played at Harvard. They played at Fenway. They, they played wherever they could find a place to play. And, you know, they, they had some good teams. I mean, the Boston Patriots won, won their division in 1963. But over the years, they, they didn't do much. I mean, they just – they had good players. I mean, yeah. Stanley Morgan, Sam Bam Cunningham, uh, Steve Grogan. I mean, they had guys. Uh, and that's just to name the first three that come off the top of my head. But they never did it. John Hanna, yeah, John one Hanna. of the best offensive linemen of Mike's, all time. Mike's favorite jersey of all time. Yeah. That's yeah. true. <laughs> and it just, uh, you know, you, you're right. At that time, Bobby, I mean, I think mediocre was even uh, giving them a little more credit than they deserved. I mean, they got smoked in the 85 Super Bowl against the Bears. Uh, they got, and then nothing. And nothing got, after that. Right. And then they effectively got smoked in, in 96 against the Packers. So, 
2000, you, you, you go through this whole draft and you draft a guy 199 overall, which not only was he 199 overall in the sixth round, but it was a compensatory pick. Uh, and right. I think we all know who that was, and we'll, we'll drop his name a little bit as we go on here. But uh, mediocre was, was being light on that team at that point. But even to speak about what uh, with Bill, um, you know, remember, you know, he, he was a coach of the Browns. Now, you know, we didn't know that then. But, you know, looking back at it, you know, the only playoff win that uh, Cleveland's had – uh, was because of Bill. And that game, that win actually came against the Patriots in the 94 um, wildcard game. So, you know, and actually he beat Parcel. So it was, it was the, it was the pupil beating, you know, the teacher. Nice. So, yep. um, so, you know, the day was building something there in Cleveland, obviously, you know, Cleveland goes off to, you know, to Baltimore um, and that, that, that go, they go away. But, you know, um, like I said, like you guys already said, he was, he was on the hot seat. You know, we, we didn't know what to come in. So, you know, uh, thank God for what ended up happening that season we're going to get into that. So I also like wonder, I've always thought about like after the 2000 season, right. Can you imagine like what's going through Belichick's head? Like he literally lit his relationship with Parcells on fire over this. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. never been, the, they've never been the same. And he was only been in the same room once since then. And yeah, the, two, the, yeah, the two bills. That yeah, was a great. That was a great special, by the way. And, yeah. and even during that special, you could see that things had not been fully patched up. Yeah, you can see like the mutual respect. And I was just going to say that. Yeah. There. Yeah. But like Bill uh, Parcells never forgave him for doing that. Well, Parcells and, was kind of a tough guy after he left. After he left yeah. New England, I mean, what what he did uh, everywhere else he went. I mean, he just he he's such an old school guy that he just he didn't latch on anywhere he went and i think his last stop was when he was the president of football yeah, operations down in Dolphins, Miami, right yeah and, and he couldn't even do anything there but that's a that's a different market but well he did yeah. though he did he brought 115 to 10 and 6 remember that's that Dolphins true. team wasn't that bad his first year i don't know if i had anything to do with him but no like you just said that that respect that those two had that they built because if you remember bill belichick his resume was really impressive that man was the defensive uh, i don't know if he's coordinator but defensive coach yeah it was coordinator mm-hmm. he got carried yeah. off the field for the 90 was it 91 90 giants yeah you know he, he was there for both so um, for both of 80, those right yeah, they won 86 and then they won in 90 so yeah right and whatever and then, guy can coach lawrence taylor deserves all the respect in the world and then right, exactly. back, back. <laughs> but then then you go to cleveland and bill belichick had built that team from nothing because they, they were a mess when he got there to a team that was very respected, was one play, one yard away from the AFC championship game before Ernest Beyer let that ball just pop out, uh, which I'm sure right now is making all Cleveland Browns fans' ears bleed. Uh, but then from there, Cleveland leaves town. It's announced Cleveland's leaving town. He gets screwed out of a job. He gets screwed out of a team that was one yard away from the AFC championship game and then goes ahead, follows Bill back to – uh, New England follows him to the Jets, and then history is made in 2000 when he's hired by the by the Patriots. Yeah, and in that 2000 season, I mean, you, you talked about it a little bit, Bobby, but I just, I want to bring up the draft and and another guy that we're going to bring up later in this uh, mm-hmm. conversation is J.R. Redman, uh, who was actually selected mm-hmm. in the second round by the New England Patriots that year. The the 2000 season was an interesting one. 
at five and eleven, but you draft Tom Brady the first time. We're going to say his name tonight. I don't know how far into the recording we are, but uh, it's the first time we've said the name Tom Brady. So they draft him six round, compensatory pick, one ninety nine overall. One hundred ninety eight guys go before him. Countless quarterbacks that right. no name quarterbacks, guys that that are were out of the league in five years. Uh, there might have been one that slipped through, but ready for the there. names: Chad Pennington, Giovanni Carmazzi, Chris mm-hmm. Redman. T. Martin, Martin, Mark Bulger, and Spurgeon win. All drafted oh, Mark, before oh, Mark, Tom Mark Brady. Mark Bulger had an okay career. Mark so Bulger had a good career, but I mean, so so you had Chad Pennington, Mark Bulger, and then the next guy is Tom Brady. <clears throat> Clearly, Tom Brady was better than the two of those guys combined ten times over. Was he? Right. Now, now we know that, but in 2000, they, they draft this – um, bad body quarterback uh, who the worst, you know, the worst, the worst, <laughs> the worst I, I body. Love, I've always loved that shot of him doing that like <laughs> yeah. mug shot uh, and turning in front of the camera in Indianapolis when they they uh, in the old RCA dome when they show him and it's just like man I I, I, I bad, body. Know, bad body quarterback and this guy was drafted by the Montreal Expos and you're like. He was good who, too. Who he was? He was a good baseball player. But you're mm-hmm. like, who is this guy? He he backed up Brian Greasy at Michigan. Then he got his chance in his senior year. So, but we've now seen over the years what Bill does with these guys. But back then, let's let's sit in 2000 when when we were all young pups, really just coming into our fandom mm-hmm. of, of, of sports. I mean, I was 12 at the time that he was drafted. Um, so. You, you didn't know who it was, but you, you you didn't know that they needed a quarterback because Drew Bledsoe right. was one of the best quarterbacks in the league at the time. And the other the other two quarterbacks on that depth chart, and I always love this about the 2000 season because Tom Brady didn't dress for a game in 2000. Fourth string, sure. right? Fourth string. Drew Bledsoe, Michael Bishop, John Fries. But you, that so that that right there to me speaks to Belichick's. Just, I don't know if it's a sixth sense that he has. It's something that that dude has that he, what NFL team do you ever hear carrying four quarterbacks? Have you ever heard of an NFL team carrying four quarterbacks? Well, Bill wouldn't be caught dead doing it now. Right. He he barely carries two. But But back then he was carrying three every season, but you're right, Bobby. mm -hmm. He kept the fourth. Right. Exactly. And I think that that really, that really goes to that. Now, if, if you remember the quote, you guys watched America's game too. Brady gets drafted. He's unknown. First of all, I think if we were sports fans back in 2000, as big as we are now, we definitely would have known the name Tom Brady because his career at Michigan was nothing to, to snub at. You know what I mean? Like that dude came into a lot of big games, including I believe it was the Rose Bowl, a 21-point comeback his senior year. And somehow this dude who, who came in when Brian Greasy was failing – took over the game and won that Rose Bowl, slipped all the way to the sixth round. Now, that yeah. to me, to this day, that, like, I know those body pictures are bad, but I'll never understand that. I'll never but understand now, it. But now a quarterback does that, <clears throat> and he's drafted in the first round. Right. And, and, and how many guys have we seen over the last 20 years fail in the NFL because that was their claim to fame? Mm-hmm. And now you can almost write it on the wall and say, this guy's going to fail. This guy's not going to do well because he won one game. I, a lot of times, maybe they'll succeed. I mean, there was guys later on in, in the career, and you know we'll get to this as we go through this series, but Matt Castle, he never started a game at quarterback for USC and led the Patriots to an 11-5 and season. You know, it, it can – but to get back to 2000, you're absolutely right, Bobby. I mean, 
It, what a what a pick! And we, none of right. us knew what the heck he was doing. But in my opinion, if if this 2000 happens now, Tom Brady is no later with that resume, no later than a second round pick in today's NFL. There's no way that man with that skill set, that leadership quality, and that track record of leading comebacks and successful football teams falls to the sixth round. That does not happen in today's NFL. And what's amazing is back then is there were so many good coaches in the league. Like that was kind of the heyday yeah. when you had like really good coaches. Mm-hmm. And for that to happen, for him mm-hmm. to slip that low, it's amazing. And, you know, you, you look at the pick and we, we all know the quotes. He, he walks into Patriots camp and, and um, he walks into camp and, and uh, Robert Kraft walks by him and calls him Kyle Brady. Says what's going yep. on Kyle yep. and Kyle Brady at the time was the, he was the tight end for the New York jets. Uh, one of my favorite tight ends. He was just a big body dude that ran through people, but right? so right, he calls him Kyle <laughs> and, and, and Tom turns around and says, Oh, my name's Tom Brady. And he goes, Robert Kraft says, yeah, you're, you're the quarterback. You're pretty good. I've seen you play. And you know, Tom turns around and says, Mr. Kraft, I want to thank you. Drafting me was the best decision you've ever made. And um, little did we know he was right. Right. And I think that honestly is the perfect place to go ahead and lead into this 2001 season. All right. Now we, we, we've, we've brought you back exactly to where the Patriots were at this time. Mediocre football team, no expectations going into 2001 season. We have Drew Bledsoe maybe at the time considered probably the most overpaid quarterback in the NFL. We have a coach who's on the hot seat and we have a defense and an offense that's just sputtering at all seams. Um, So going into the season, you know, there was no hope for this team. Uh, Now that first moment in the 2001 season where you come in, you know, it's a new season. Everyone's got hope week one Patriots lose. To the Cincinnati Bengals. Hang on, before we get into this, we, we can't we can't go over the fact that in that six months earlier, before the season started, one of the best defensive players that ever played in a Patriots uniform was drafted sixth overall. Yeah, Richard Seymour out, out, out yep. of Georgia. Yep. 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 And Matt Light was also drafted in that in that draft as well. And say what you want about Matt Light. Tom Brady loved the guy. Yeah, I mean, Light was he, a great was a great offensive lineman, and and he's and he's a he's a good person. But I've seen so many people that have said they didn't like Matt Light, and I'm like, hang on a second, Matt Light kept Tom Brady upright for years. Mm-hmm. So 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 I'll, I'll let you go back to the to that. But I mean, we're we're talking about two of the best picks during that time for the. No, you're also, well, go ahead, Mike. Bill also made a lot of good offseason moves uh, that year with uh, with Brian Cox, and mm-hmm. I believe he brought into Bucky Jones that year as well, like some veterans just to shore up the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, again, now we look at those moves and we're like, those are pillars of that defense. But then right. it's like, and didn't he bring in uh, Rabel that year too? The Steelers, yeah, that's right. Yeah. For like so, a third-round pick, I believe. Yeah, so he put that entire defense together in that offseason. And looking back now, it's like, what, wow, that's am- that's amazing. Wow. Here's your yep. notable defensive players on the New England Patriots from 2001. Uh, Bobby Hamilton, I always thought he was pretty good. Uh, yep. Willie McGinnis, um, Richard Seymour, Teddy Bruschi, Matt Chatham, special teams guy. I always yep. love Matt Chatham on special teams. Brian Cox, Larry Izzo, another special teams guy. Ted Johnson, Roman Pfeiffer, Mike Vrabel. Those were your linebackers. I literally just read every linebacker like, on the New England. Like That's, that's a, a linebacker crew. squad right there, uh, yeah. Defensive backs, I mean, they had Terrell Buckley, Antoine Harris, Tabucky Jones, Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, Otis Smith, 
Um, and then, of course, I mean, your kicker was Adam Venateri, who will come into this. But, I mean, uh, Mike, you're absolutely right. I mean, he puts his defense together. And back then it was like, who are these yeah, guys? Who are, who are these people? But reading that- those names off, are you kidding me? Well, and, and, and Mike, that's a great point to make because that would end up becoming the the MO and the trend for all of Bill Belichick's time in New England. Every single year, this dude has brought in player after player of people who weren't known, who, who are disrespected, and they come into New England, and not only do they do, they do good, but they thrive in this system. Yep. And I, th- I yeah. think that season was the first – Terrell Buckley, to me, was the first one that stood out because he was in Miami. He was good. He wasn't great. Came right. to New England. That dude was light out in the 2001 season. Absolute yep. light out. Um, and if you remember going to that season, what's funny is the biggest free agent acquisition I can remember was Matt Stevens. You guys remember Matt Stevens? He was a safety. He's a white guy, long hair. Exactly. Exactly. No. You don't, you have right, no yeah, idea no, who he is. Not at all. Right. But exactly. I, he doesn't even have a picture on Wikipedia. Right. Exactly. But I mean, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you named all those linebackers, you know, um, which was a great core. The, the, the most important linebacker that season didn't even play for the Patriots. He played for the Jets. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, wow. we'll get into that. So, yeah, so yeah, he was, you know, like, yeah, uh, Mo, Mo Lewis, um, you know, I've joked about this off the air before, but he, he deserves to be in the Patriot Hall of Fame because, um, you know, without that hit on Drew Bledsoe, we don't we don't see the impact that's all it makes. So, he also deserves a ring. Yeah, oh, he, he deserves a ring. Uh, ring. ring. He, he deserves, he deserves six. Right. He deserves <laughs> six rings. If <laughs> Nomar gets a ring in 2004, Mo Lewis gets a ring in 2001. That's the way I feel about it. So, yeah. and, and I'm going to lead Bobby back into the next part because I'm going to jump off of what Rayshon just said and, and kick it back to Bobby here. But So, in the 2001 season, after being the fourth string quarterback, um, and Tom Brady working his butt off because basically he found a notebook in the quarterback's room in 2000 that said he was too slow and not speed wise on the field, but he was too slow at reads too slow yeah. at getting rid of the ball too slow at basically doing everything as an NFL quarterback, which was clearly a setup uh, by Bill Belichick to leave that in front of Tom Brady because he, he knew what he had in this kid and it hadn't happened yet by the 2001 season. The New England Patriots had three quarterbacks prior to the NFL's uh, start of the NFL season against the Cincinnati Bengals. Drew Bledsoe was your number one. Tom Brady was your number two. And Kansas City Chiefs great Damon Heward was the number three. Well, also, right. like, uh, Damon Heward was the backup for Marino down in Miami. And oh, he, did right. pretty, he did pretty well for himself whenever Marino could make his last couple starts. That's so, true. Like, you, look at that, you look at that room, and I, I, we can talk about uh, the Jets game. Bobby, I'm sure you're going to lead us right into that. But, like, I – Loved Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe was the reason I became a Patriots fan because they went from nothing to being uh, somewhat relevant because of Bledsoe, Curtis Martin, Terry Glenn, Terry Glenn. Coates. Like yep. that offense was was awesome. And you know, Bledsoe couldn't run. It turns out when he tried, he almost died. But he <laughs> could throw that ball far, and he was fun to watch. Right, right. And, and and what's funny is when you say he almost died. You actually mean that literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I remember at the time, I remember that was the first game of the season. Everyone was pumped and I'll never forget being a 12 year old. And, and, and for the first time in my life, I felt a feeling of almost disgust that first week one. I remember looking at the screen and being like, we're losing to the goddamn Cincinnati Bengals. The team, that team that just drafted Akili Smith turned down nine draft picks to draft a Keeley Smith. 
and we're yeah. losing to them right now. I, 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 I was disgusted. And they go were nothing week, after Boomer Esiason left. So. Right. And then you go into, go into week two against the Jets. Completely outmatched. The Jets were a good football team at this point. We just set the stage. Week two against the Jets was not supposed to be that. We were supposed to play the Carolina Panthers, who were oh, 1-0, but because of 9-11, right. the, the whole season got paused. We ended up uh, playing Carolina at the end. They went from 1-0 to, like, 1-15. But, like, that first game back, we had the whole Andrewsy family because all of his uh, brothers are, are first yeah. responders. The, everything after 9-11, like, that game, like, you were amped up. And they came out and just laid an egg. They just absolutely they, – they weren't even amped up for that game. And – I just remember like, the Jets were, were a good team then. They still were a, a really good team. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, and, they, that and they're, and they're was coming great. off. It was, and they're coming off September 11th, kind of the other direction. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you think about that, and and now you look back on things, and you know, when when big things happen, uh, national tragedies, international tragedies, it, what, sports is what brings people together, and it really did this season. I mean, I and yeah. and we'll get into that as mm-hmm. we talk about the mm-hmm. Super Bowl later on. Um, but it, kind of a backstory from me, and, and Mike mentions it. I, I remember when they changed this game and they changed the whole season around. And are we going to play? Should we play? And they did. And they switched things around and they brought the Jets to New England um, that week. A lot of things were happening, and I, I was there um, to kind of give you guys a look into where I'm going to go in this episode is that, uh, my father's been a season ticket holder since 1981 and been going to games since 1976. And he has lived in new England since 1960. So he's been a Patriots fan since, since day one, since he was nine years old. Um, so, uh, be, I was at this game. Uh, I was at every game that season, in, including, um, the, the Raiders playoff game and, the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. I remember this game, Mike. I remember coming into it and I remember the flyover. Um, I remember everything around it. Section 205, row eight. We were right there um, in the old stadium. And you're right. The, the Patriots laid an egg and the Jets were amped up because they, right. they were playing for so much more than a win in week two of the NFL season. Right. And, like, and, that's, what, and, that's, and that's what made this season start out that that game and that that whole situation, which I can't believe that I almost led into this without it, is what made this season so special. You know what I mean? Like without without the Patriots that season, two thousand one just seems like a completely different year because not only like you guys said did it unify Massachusetts, but rooting for the New England Patriots because of what every what was happening. They were the underdog. They were America's team. They were red, white, and blue. They were all about equality, being together. May 2001, that's much more special of a year. I mean, Bobby, you kind of talked about it at the beginning of the show when you said, you know, uh, we're all Patriots and inside the Patriots are world champions. Like, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything. Without that. Without 9-11. Without I mean, for Which real. Which I mean, is, a, is a terrible tragedy. I'm not discounting we were, what you're saying. We were red, white, and blue. Like, right. In, that in, was in, it. Right. America. In, 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 like, in theory – the Jets should, or the Giants should have been America's team that year, right? But it just so happened that, as, as you'll uh, lead us into, like, down the road, it's, there was just a, this snowball effect for the underdog, for the red, white, and blue that just kept building and building and building. And I feel like, it, you know, that that moment and that day, like, it, I, I, there's, I remember watching it on, on mm-hmm. television, like, nope. like and Drewzy with the is, flags. 
yeah, like this is special. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. This is- mm-hmm. All of it was special, and that was the nice part about the game is before the first whistle, it wasn't about the New England Patriots against the New York Jets. It was about football in the United States of America. It was about right. American football and bringing everybody together. And uh, you know, I mean, the the logo of the Super Bowl is we'll get into which is on my shoulder here. It's the American flag in the shape of the United States. And it's just, it's what the season became two days after the start of the season. Which not to get too octopic, but that really does speak to how powerful sports is and, and really speaks to how much of a unifying factor it is. We see it now with the NBA. We see it with, with these players protesting that, that sports really does have a powerful, a powerful input on society. And I think 2001 Patriots, uh, again, we'll get into all, how significant it really was, what led to it being so significant with the Super Bowl, the halftime show, all that stuff. But 2001 is the one season that stands out to me where a sport, one team, one thing, who knew it would be the Patriots, you know, looking back 20 years ago, if you told people the Patriots were a unifying factor in America, people would lose their mind, but that's what they were. You know what I mean? That 2001 season, they were the underdog. Now, again, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. So, so game two, Drew Bledsoe, so the Patriots, I believe they were losing 3 nothing at the time. Drew Bledsoe drops back, and for the first time in his entire career, he decides to scramble out of the pocket. Bad decision, Drew. Bad decision. Should have let your cement feet lock it right in place like they had your entire career because what was waiting for you on the right sideline? Mo Lewis's shoulder. And he hit him harder than I've ever seen anyone get hit before. Uh, there's there there is reports. Uh, I was I was doing my research, and there's reports that I saw of quotes on the Patriots sideline that said they could feel how hard he got hit from 20 feet away. They could feel the impact of that hit. Yeah, that it was man, right there. It was right on the sideline. I mean, he got it was wallet. I remember exactly where it happened. I mean, he he got absolutely smoked right right in the chest, right where you would think that the pads would protect you. Right. So, so at that moment, he gets hit, and I remember thinking, he's all right. He's fine. You know what I mean? He's fine. He, it was just a hit. He'll get back up. But I don't know if it was the greatness in Tom Brady. Uh, I, know, I know, Mike, you've mentioned this to me before, but that dude grabbed his helmet, and he knew it was his time. He knew it was time. If, if you remember, Bledsoe came out for the next series. Right. Yep. He, like yeah. so. Like th- 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 I think this is where I, I don't want to go too off track here, but like I have such a love uh, for Bledsoe and like an, an affection for him because, like, he there was a quote by Charlie Weiss about the 2001 Patriots and more specifically about Bledsoe is that no one wanted to make a play; they thought he was going to do it. They mm-hmm. thought Bledsoe would just make the play happen. So no one else is out there, you know, trying to, to do what they're supposed to do, like do your job, like Belichick tells us now. They were just waiting for Bledsoe's cue. So if he did, if he couldn't do it, it didn't happen. When Bledsoe goes down, you can't you cannot operate that way with Brady or, or right. any other quarterback coming in. You all have to play together. So like the Patriot way started the minute the the yep. Mo Lewis Mack truck ran through Drew Bledsoe. Absolutely, that's a great point because you could see it. I, I was watching the game today, uh, and you could see. I know that they ended up losing this game, but they actually ended up having a chance in a game that they played absolutely horrendous football. Uh, I remember that they had a Hail Mary that dropped dropped ever so slightly down to the end zone. But that game, as soon as Bledsoe goes out, you see that team unify around each other, and you see that team football that we all came to know and love 
from 2001 on. Well, I don't love it as much anymore, but you guys definitely do. I can <laughs> promise you that. One thing I remember when, when that hit happened and Bledsoe goes to the sideline, uh, you know, before he came back out for the next series, is watching number 12 run onto the field. And, you know, at the time, maybe a handful of people knew who this kid was. But Tom Brady comes running on the field. And I remember the people around us. I remember the people sitting behind us saying, who the hell is 12? And somebody takes out their binoculars and reads the name on the back of his jersey, and it says Brady. And they say, who the hell is Brady? Who's this guy? And granted, they probably didn't know that who Damon Heward was, so it wouldn't have made a difference. But that kind of resonates, like, going back and, and thinking about the Patriots over the last 20 years. Who the hell is this guy? Who the hell are these guys? And – you know, pay, uh, the, Tom Brady goes on to throw for 46 yards in that game. Five of ten passes for 46 yards. Drew Bledsoe goes to the hospital after the game. Didn't know he was going to need to during the game, but you're right. The, the Patriots team rallied around each other. The Jets were rallying around each other, and, and that was that. But I don't know if you guys remember, this was the first time we saw the tuck rule. So Vinny Testaverde <laughs> fumbles the ball, the Patriots recover, have even more of a chance after playing a terrible game, as Bobby said, and it gets overruled because of the tuck rule, something that Raiders fans will clearly forget come the playoffs. But it, 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 this was a day that no one knew what was going to happen with this season because everybody thought that that Mo Lewis hit on Drew Bledsoe was the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew who Tom Brady was. We thought that our guy that just got paid millions, one of the biggest contracts in the NFL, we thought the season was over because that was our guy. So I, I was 11 at the time. And, um, like, I remember, like, you know, I was a Drew Bledsoe fan. Like, my first football memory was um, the Super Bowl that we lost against the Packers. Um so, you know, I remember Desmond Howard just <laughs> running down the sideline. Looking up at the jumbo. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> Reggie White doing whatever you want to do with Gilbert Brown, Leroy Butler, you know, uh, Dorsey Lemons, all those guys. But um, I like, I remember when Bustle went down, and I'm like, oh, man, like, like this is this is like one of my, my favorite players on the Patriots at the time. And to see him go down, I had the same feeling at 11 years old. I was like, well, they'll be lucky to win, you know, <laughs> two, two or three games. Um, right. you know, and then I think I remember at the time, you know, I didn't know much about Payne Manning, but, um, I knew that I knew those guys could really score. Um, and then, you know, the game, the season really turns around, <laughs> you know, with, with a, with a route. With that week three. Lightly. Yeah. Week right. Three, you know, the we can do this moment, which Rayshon, you just mentioned that first one on the list is that week three against the Colts, that week three against the Colts. They were unbelievable. Um, I don't know if it was the game prep coming in just because of like Mike, you just said the team aspect that that team, you know, where the Patriots actually happening and them not relying on Bledsoe so much. Uh, but uh, they beat that team mercilessly. Uh, David Patton became one of the first players in NFL history to throw, run and catch for a touchdown. Um, Antoine Smith ran all over the Colts, and I believe the final score was what thirty-seven to thirteen. No, I mean, I, I think far you know, pay many. I think they they win the same division as the Patriots. Then, right? yeah. They were on the AFC East, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you so know, you see things on that real, real quick. Is that this was the last year of the AFC East, North, South, and West? Go ahead, Ray. Right. So you know, so yeah, so so, so many things that were going in, into that, but you know, um, I think Lloyd Mullet said this on there um, on the America's Game, but. Early in Peyton Manning's career, we, we took care of business against him. Like, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
you know, yes, he was the system. He became the man eventually. But, you know, early in his career, um, you know, before 2006, we did whatever we wanted against um, Indianapolis. And whether it was him throwing an interception, uh, whether it was him getting sacked, um, you know, we always had him sort of befuddled, so to speak, uh, whenever he came into New England. He was just a different player in outdoor elements. Um, and it really Probably showed that, that yeah. Yeah, Always exactly. You know, so yeah, so it's just he's he's just someone. Like I said we we had his number early on. So, um, and like I said that was just a sign of things to come um, after that game. I also think that uh, this this first game against the Colts, this had nothing to do with Brady. This was not an offensive show at all. This was mm-hmm. all defense. It was all those key additions that we talked about, like in, in the in uh, in the offseason that came to fruition. I mean, they just knew how to attack. Uh, Peyton Manning and that entire system. They started hitting the wide receivers on the line. They started uh, hitting hitting the running backs on the line too. Uh, and before Peyton could do anything, he was down twenty points. And I, and I think uh, Antoine, I think Antoine Smith had almost hundred yards, like ninety two yards. But he, I'm pretty sure he fumbled on the one yard line too. Like that, that wasn't a great offensive game for anybody. The defense just shut them down. And what else was big about this was the fact that that the the Colts were two and zero coming into this game, yeah. and the mm-hmm. Patriots were zero and two with Tom Brady in his first start. And Bill Belichick, the guy that he is, the the defensive mastermind, to play off what Mike just said, made it happen defensively because he was still teaching the kid how to play, and and knew exactly him and Romeo Cornell knew exactly what Peyton Manning was going to do at every turn, and it showed in Game Two, which is three weeks later. Yeah, that Game Three is definitely the first nomination for that we can do this moment. Because if there's any, there was no other time prior to in that season where you actually had faith in this Patriots football team to put together any kind of semblance of a winning season. Uh, Now, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that you're you're absolutely right. I remember feeling the same thing. And then they got tripled up by the Dolphins the next week. uh, Right. So, uh, but I mean, but that, but even to this day, it was always historical that the Patriots had trouble with Miami. In Miami. In Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So from day two, they won. Day two. Week four, Brady looked awful too. He he was not good in that game. He did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't come. He didn't come into his intercession until the, the the next week. That leads us right into Week Five against the San Diego Chargers. Now this is also going to come up later because this to me is is the winner of this category. Well, well, this is the moment that launched the dynasty to me. It launched Brady's career. It launched everything that season. Without this game. None of this happens without this game. Bledsoe might come back week ten and replace Brady because this game really dictated how the rest of that season was going to go. All right. So we'll set the stage. Uh, the Patriots playing the chargers, Doug Flutie's back in new England. Everyone's excited about that. Um, Patriots go into the third quarter. I believe Antoine Smith scores a touchdown. They go up 16 to 15 entering the fourth quarter. Uh, within about four to five minutes, the Patriots in typical Patriots fashion, give up uh, a awful touchdown. So Lee Johnson fumbles the ball. In, in an inexplicable play, which just described the last Patriots five years where he fumbles the snap. Instead of just going down, he, as a punter, tries to throw the ball. Chargers pick it up, run it back for a touchdown. Patriots down 10 points with about four minutes remaining. Uh, now, if, if that doesn't prove to you that this was the way Patriots football was at the time, at that time, the crowd started pouring out. 
Corey, the, the announcers even brought it up when I was rewatching the game today. They said the Patriots are in trouble and their fans know it. And they saw, you see all these fans just out they go. At halftime, the Patriots led in that game, 16-13. And Venetary had missed a field goal and an extra point. And Belichick was quoted at halftime saying that that was the worst kicking performance he had seen in a year and a half. And, and he was talking about Lee Johnson. He was talking about Adam mm-hmm. Terry. And mm-hmm. it was absolutely awful. And you're right. They led and people were still leaving because it was an absolutely horrid football game. I also think like that, that game uh, turned, uh, you know, as we're going to talk about, turned around our franchise. But it also turned around uh, Doug Flutie's career because they were coming into that game three and one. Right. They were, and they finished five and 11 and Drew Brees replaced uh, Doug Flutie for the, for the Chargers quarterback. Right. Um, but that, that entire game, I mean, obviously Lee Johnson is not Tom Chupa. He should not be throwing the football as a punter. That should, that should, that should never happen. But you're down 10. There's five minutes left. Historically, 2000, that means that Bledsoe is going to throw 25 more passes. Three are probably going to be picked off and you're going to lose by like 26. Brady was so efficient and that, and that next five minutes and brought them back. And again, that's why like this, the whole Brady, did Brady win because of the system or did the system win because of Brady? He just went out there and did what he was supposed to do. He, he passed it to the open guy and right. he didn't try to be a hero. Everyone else on the field tried to make each other better. So I think, I think that's a great nominee for, um, you know, the, the we can do this moment because until I went back and watched it today, like I forgot how close to the brink of disaster. Same. Same, and, and, no. I, and I agree with Mike because, sorry, Baba, real quick, but right after that, after another great drive by Brady, who kicks mm-hmm. the game-winning field goal, Adam Benetieri. Adam Benetieri. Yep. Another yep. theme we're going to see. All right, so so we're down 10, right? Again, like you guys said, Brady brings us back. Um, we end up winning the game. Now, that moment right there, like I just said, is, is my probably top nominee. We'll go over a couple more. But that's my nominee because without that game, the Patriots fall to one and four. Okay. One and four is a record that you don't come back from. There is no playoffs when you start one and four. Not only that, if they go one and four, regardless what happens in those next coming weeks, when Drew Bledsoe is healthy, that man is back on the field. And there's no doubt about that. If, if Tom Brady loses his, if Tom Brady loses his first two out of three games as starting quarterback, he's done. That's it. That's the Tom Brady experiment. And we never hear from him again. Mm-hmm. I think it would have stayed starting quarterback because I don't know how much trust Bill had in Heward. But you didn't have uh, you didn't have uh, Bledsoe back at that point. And, right. I mean, uh, but, you know, that that's definitely – I think you're right. I mean, I think that kind of has to take the cake for regular season because that turned things around. I mean, sure, we're going to talk about how they went – you know, two and three, then they, they're at a 500 record. They go sub 500 again, take, they go back above 500, they're 500 again. And then, and then by week 11, you know, what are we talking about? And at week 11, we're, we're cruising. Week 10 against the St. Louis Rams. Uh, this team uh, was unstoppable. This will be the first of a few times that we mentioned the St. Louis Rams on this podcast. They were the best football team in the NFL by far. It wasn't even close. It wasn't yeah. even close. And right. Mar- Marshall Falk was the I, best. I hate to say this. Yeah, Marshall Falk was my favorite player in the NFL at that moment. Like I had, Ray, I had, I'm pretty I had, sure you had a Marshall Falk jersey, bro. I remember you wearing that thing all the time, man. Do you know how many people had 28 St. Louis Rams jerseys? Yeah. I, I mean, right. so many people. I mean, yeah, he, he was, was. Yeah, he was phenomenal, man. And then, you know, you had Torrey Holt, um, Isaac Bruce, Ricky Prohl. 
Roland Williams, like Isaiah Akeem, Isaiah Akeem, like who was just, I mean, was was just a speed burner, um, in, in the slot, man, and you know, Kurt Warner. I mean, so you know, they they really were an offensive machine, and I remember looking, I'm like, yo, like. <laughs> If we can score maybe 15 points, <laughs> like that's a win, but like they're going to put up 30. Right. And that was yeah. definitely the mindset going in. Like we all said uh, go- before, this team was so good that it would have been an absolute win if the Patriots stayed within 10, 14 points of this team. It would have given us that, that feeling that, okay, we can hang with the big boys. They did more than that. You know, they, they had – I'm looking at the Rams roster from 2001, and, man, it's, it's no wonder we lost to them in Week 10. I mean, but we gave them a run. Like, we gave them a run. And the thing about that Rams team, and we're going to see it later on, is how cocky – this team they was. Good. They had Mike Martz. I mean, he was one of the best coaches. Uh, I mean, you could really say he's one of the best coaches of all time. I mean, he's probably top 10. You look mm-hmm. at Mike Martz, you look at how cocky this team was, how confident they were. They were, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a, a fast, um, quick, and those are two very different things, fast, quick offense that you – who is going to stop him? And Kurt Warner was such a big body, but he was an arena league guy. I mean, the guy was bagging groceries before he signed with the San Luis Rams. And, and he comes in there and he picks up this Mike Martz offense like it's nothing. And he's got speed. He's got slot receivers. He's got deep guys. He's got good tight ends and an offensive line that Drew Bledsoe would have killed for. Oh, my. Yeah, he would have. No, and Ricky, right. Ricky Prohl was one of my – he was kind of the, the first of that new age. I know Steve Largent played for the Seattle Seahawks back in the day, but Ricky Prohl was like that, that slot guy that, you know, the Edelmans and the, and the Welkers of the world kind of modeled themselves after, after the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team, mm-hmm. this team should have been unbeatable. That, uh, it, they lose 24-17. They stay within seven points of these guys in week 10. And granted, it dropped them to five and five after the loss. But, I mean. It didn't matter at that point. It really had, it, it didn't matter. Oh, no, it didn't. And, and that's what we can say looking back on it. Like, it really didn't. Like, it really didn't. I mean, what happened over the next seven weeks, you know? Right. Well, well, this game for me, why I wanted to nominate it as like the moment that I knew is because uh, a couple of things to take away from this, right. Is that um, Kurt Warner and that offense were unstoppable. Right. So logic, you know, logic would dictate that your goal as a, as a, as a defensive coordinator would be to attack Kurt Warner. They did that in this game, but they did not do it in their rematch. And that's probably why they won. They went after Marshall Falk uh, in, in the Super Bowl, Right. But in this game, Warner still went 30 for 42, uh, 400 yards, three touchdowns, two picks, one for uh, – I think one was returned by Tabucky Jones, right, for an interception. And, like, this game, like, it just – for some reason, and I know we were we were five and four, but it never felt like – it never felt out of hand. Like, we always felt like we were, we were within, within striking distance. And Brady, again, had – like, I think he went, like, 19 of 26 for, like, under 200 yards, right? Um, he didn't have a great performance, but I mean, the defense showed up and, you know, when you lose only by seven to probably the greatest offensive team that we've seen up until that point, I, I think it just gave Bill a lot to look, uh, a, you know, a lot of film to review and say, okay, well, we were this close. What, what's the one thing we should do differently? And at this time, when you're looking at the best offensive team, the Patriots were slowly becoming one of the best defensive teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
Mike Martz even said that after this game, that the Patriots were a Super Bowl caliber team. Little did he know. But, I mean, you look back and talk about week three against Indy, 44-13. to Sure, they lose to Miami, 30-10. to They beat San Diego in overtime, 29-26. Then they wallop the Colts again, 38-17. They, they lose by 11 to the Denver Broncos. But then they beat up on the Atlanta Falcons, 24-10. to They beat up on the Buffalo Bills, 21-11. to And then you lose by seven to the best offense in the NFL. And not only that, but Bill Belichick, for the first time in the Rams, since they became the the show on turf, had an actual game plan to slow that offense down. That's something that not many people before that had done it. You see it in the tape. Slants and in cuts. That's the game. Slants and in cuts. Slants and in cuts. Right, exactly. That statement right there set the tone for that team and the rest of that season because the players say it too from all the interviews. Walking off that field, they knew they had something. Whether it was Brady, whether it was Bledsoe walking off that field, they knew that that team could compete at the highest level against the highest highest competition the NFL had to offer. Well, because we're also going to see with the rest of the season, and we kind of saw it before, that besides the Cincinnati Bengals in week one – and, uh, yeah, they had another loss to the Broncos and the Dolphins, but no one else in the AFC East at this point. At this point in the season, where they where they had come from and where they are now, Tom Brady is now firing on, on all cylinders. He's the starter. There's no question. Right. Exactly. Nobody, in the AFC, nobody in the AFC East was going to stop them. And that, that I believe it was after that game that Bledsoe was actually cleared to play. Uh, yeah. and, and, and Belichick – made the most controversial decision. Uh, he, he put his career, he put that team on the back of Tom Brady because he saw something. All right. They may have lost that game, but something. Yeah. No, remember, remember the, pe- the press conference. I, I get paid to make the best decisions for the football team. T-E-A-M. As in team football team. You know, we're going to go with Tom, and that's what Mr. Crab is going to do, so that's what we're going to do. It was, it was, it was spot on because um, now I was, you know, you know, you know, the news was going back and forth about, you know, like, you know, you know Brady, Blesso. Now, I still wanted Blesso to come back. You know, I mean, it's easy to say that's when he's like, oh, like, you know, you should have wanted Brady. Like, no, like, I still thought, like, if Blesso was on, is on there, the way Blesso can sling it, um, now that the defense is getting better, Drew, take us there. You took us there before. Take it. Take us home. Which you know we're going to get to that. But take, yeah. take us home. Take us home, Drew. You you got us. But like I said, and Bill Bill had the foresight to say, you know what, the continuity is starting to grow. The defense is growing. Um, I see some of this young guy. Let, let's see if we can take us to the promised land. You weren't alone on that either. That was most. That was most of New England, man. Yeah. Most of New England was on that boat that they wanted Bledsoe back. <laughs> I also think, like, on that note, like, this is why people that are Patriots fans and have been since, like, since Drew Bledsoe love him still so much is because we saw the awful uh, quarterback controversy that happened in Buffalo where Flutie got ousted, right? Like, yeah, right. They were, Bledsoe could have made this really ugly. And instead he said, you know, obviously, like, I want to be out there, but I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure that our team wins. And that's why, and you're right. That's why we love him to this day. Like when Drew Bledsoe comes back to New England, I mean, yeah, sure. Mo Lewis might deserve a ring, uh, but, but Drew Bledsoe earned his 10 times over that season because he took the backseat. He had the big contract. I mean, we all know that he landed in Dallas afterwards, but he, he did what he needed to do 
And that was the biggest thing that an NFL player has ever done, especially in this day and age. Now look at with these guys, that is one of the biggest things. Cause Mike, you hit the nail on the head. He could have made it ugly. My job, why are you paying me if I'm just going to sit on the sideline and Bledsoe and Brady knew what they had together and they had a phenomenal relationship. And Tom Brady pays homage to, to Drew Bledsoe so many times mm-hmm. in uh, America's game, but he also does it throughout his career. I mean, whenever Drew comes back, Tom goes out of his way to, to find Drew on the sideline and, and just, and not a lot, you don't see quarterbacks do that anymore. I mean, we all know how, how Brett Favre treated Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, or how Brady treated Jimmy Garoppolo or how Brady yeah. treated Jimmy right. Garoppolo. Yeah. So, you know, take, take a note out of your own, you know, your own notebook there, Tommy, but um you know, it just, it's amazing. It's amazing how, how it all went. And it just, it, it almost makes it even more perfect looking back on it, how this is one of the, the best seasons. And then we're only halfway through talking about it. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's the thing that, um, cause I'm going to be honest. If I was Drew, I'd have been flipping things all over that, that locker room. <laughs> I'm going off at Bill. I'm going off at Rob. I'm going off at Charlie Weiss. Whoever's in my way, you're catching it. Like, because <laughs> the, the competitor in me is like, yo, like, I'm the best guy for this job. I'm the guy that got you there before, and I can get you there again. Um, so it took a, an incredible amount of uh, humble So you're saying Drew Bledsoe is a bigger man than you. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Literally <laughs> and figuratively. Right, you're yeah, absolutely yeah. right. I think yeah, we yeah, all absolutely. would. Oh, my God. Like, what? So – I mean, like I said, that – so, I mean, you know, thank you, Drew, for being so humble because, you know, you know, you, you helped change uh, the landscape of our franchise forever. So, thank you, Drew. Like, we can't say thank you enough. Um, but, yeah, like I said, yeah, definitely definitely a bigger man than me because I, I would have – I went off completely. Before we move on, Bobby, the, like, the one last thing I want to say is, like, about this because I think this – I think after, after we all said and done, like, this is, this is the moment, um, that locker room was split. It was 50-50. It was, it was Brady, and it was uh, and it was Bledsoe. Bledsoe had the money. He had the stats. It was his job, and he and he did what was best for that team by not fighting and not complaining and just saying, "I'll, I'll do what you need me to do to help to help get this guy ready." I still get chills just even talking about it. Yeah, so, it, I, I I know. I'm sorry. I know we're we're supposed to pick a game and uh, the, for, for this, and I, I know we don't necessarily. But but this but this, this category so, right here. You're you're absolutely freaking right. I mean, to, Drew Drew is cleared after this game. They lose by seven to the St. Louis Rams. We, at the time, we had no idea what any of this meant. None whatsoever. Like we got to stay in the time capsule. What what's going to happen? So so, but Bill comes out and tells us what's going to happen. Done. It, and that's what we loved most about Bill and still, well, now a lot of people hate most about Bill. But what I love most about Bill is not only does he make the decision, but he's a master motivator. At the time, we didn't love Bill for this decision, okay? At the time, people thought he was out of his damn mind for picking Tom Brady over. Oh, yeah, people wanted, out of his mind. People wanted him to lose his job because they said, well, look at what, what are you doing in Cleveland. He's right. not an offensive guy. What is, how does he know what he's talking about? What went on behind <laughs> the scenes, though, is something that, that none of us will ever know. The conversations that he had with Bledsoe to get that man to put his ego behind him and coach Tom Brady like he did. Because without Drew Bledsoe, probably without Drew Bledsoe, 
there is no 2001 season. You see that rapport. Even in the preseason before before everything starts, you see Bledsoe and Brady together. What are your favorite routes? What do you like? You just want to throw the ball because you want to get on TV, yeah. especially, especially the route that Brady said he liked, for the record. That's even more foreshadow for later. But that fade in the corner, mm-hmm. beautiful. Bledsoe mm-hmm. also talked about it in his 30 for 30. He said, like, <clears> you know, Bill came to me and, and said, like, I'm going to go with Tom. I understand, like, if, if, if it upsets you, but I think this is the best decision for football. And it, Drew said, I think Bill expected me, like, to, to flip out. But I just looked and said, what do you need me to do to get him, keep him ready? Like, yeah. that's, that's just the, the, the guy. Another that reason is. why we – exactly. And another reason why we love when he leaves his winery in Walla Walla, Washington and comes to yeah. New England. Uh, actually, I think he's in Montana now. But regardless, with, that's why we love him when he comes back. But you're absolutely right, Mike. And that's what gets me fired up because I know what Bobby's about to go into. And I, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule and the scores right now, and I'm just like, can we just get to the next part of the season? Cause, yeah, we're going. Because yeah, I, we, think, I, I think we've all decided that that Rams game is that moment. It is the moment. Where we yeah. were like, we can do this. Because not only did we have a kid that – was figuring out how to play quarterback on the fly, but we had a coach that told you how it was going to be. He didn't beat around the bush. Mm -hmm. He motivated his team and he got his multi-million dollar quarterback to sit on the bench and teach a kid. He basically had a glorified quarterback coach who could still, who was still at the top of his game to lead, to help lead this team. Right. So then from there, all right. We we have a great game against the Rams. We stay in with the best team in the NFL. And then the Patriots just catch absolute fire from there. All right. Uh, so they beat the Saints 34 to 17. Absolutely oh, dismantle them. Beat the Jets 17 to 16. Now, this is the point in the season where the Patriots do take the lead in the AFC East for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this, they do not look back. Uh, there were seven. Was it seven and five at that point? Um, then they play the Browns. Again, dismantle them. The Browns at this time were actually not a bad football team. They were okay. They had a pretty good defense. Uh, They finished nine and seven that season. Right. They weren't bad. So then they go ahead and they play the bills 12 to nine was, uh, they beat them in overtime again, dominating the AFC East like they do for years to come. Uh, they get revenge against the dolphins. Uh, and then I go, they beat the Panthers, which was that rescheduled game from earlier in the season. Now this is a a late addition to one of those moments that, that I think, deserves inclusion because they didn't just beat the Carolina Panthers. They absolutely dismantled that team. Granted, that was a really bad, that was a really bad Panthers team, but going into the playoffs in a game that really didn't matter for the Pats, actually at that point it did because they got the clinch home field advantage for that. But going into that game, they absolutely dismantled 38 to six. They beat the Panthers that day. Yeah. Yeah. 38 to six. And, um, uh, Matt Little was the quarterback, and they had Chris Winkie on that team. Chris Winkie, Heisman, wow. Heisman, Heisman Trophy winner, trophy. Chris Winkie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just remember that the Panthers started out one and zero, and then they lost yeah. fifteen games in a row. They did. Like, wow. And this was also pre when the NFL made sense, and the Patriots had a bye week in week sixteen. Yeah. Who knows what would have happened though? If obviously, like again, not not nine eleven, but like let's say that that game isn't rescheduled. They play Panthers week two. It's Bledsoe. Now the Panthers are two and zero. That that could have changed that entire season too, right? So that could have changed ours. Yeah, I, right. I just think everything. It's so weird we look back at like we had because over the last couple of days since we you know finalized this the show, I I've just watched the games and it's like man, mm-hmm. if, if just one thing went differently, just one in the entire season, 
the whole thing falls apart. Oh. Start at the beginning. You're right. If they if those games don't get rescheduled and they play the Panthers, we may not be having this conversation. Yeah, there may not be a 2001 Patriots Super Bowl. There, there. I mean, you know, we'll get to may the, all the other dynasty. Ones. Right. There may not be anything. I mean, Drew Bledsoe right. could have still been the quarterback, and Tom Brady could have been shipped off to San Francisco. Oh, right. Mo Lewis wasn't on the Panthers. Hmm. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> So we go back to the end of the regular season. The Patriots just go on a seven-game winning streak uh, to go into the playoffs. Uh, they get a bye week, uh, and the unthinkable happens. The Patriots get a playoff game at Foxborough Stadium in the last game ever of the stadium. Um, right. Now, that, that definitely adds to the lore of this next game, uh, and that is the tuck rule game. Everyone, everyone yep. remembers this game. It's a game that went down in NFL history, changed the fate of two franchises that couldn't have gone in opposite directions from them. Uh, and probably maybe the most controversial game besides maybe the fail Mary of the last 20 years in the NFL. Would you guys agree with that? The snowball, yeah. baby. Yeah. Loved every minute of it. Absolutely. And I would say like the, the long-term changes to the franchises was what happened because short-term, the Raiders go on the next year to make the Super Bowl. Eggs, and I was just about to say that. I mean, hey, and, I mean, that team was good. Rich Gannon was unreal. You know, you still had an older Jerry Rice, Tim Brown, Tim Brown. Jay Porter. Yeah, Charlie, yeah. Charlie oh, Gardner. Charlie Gardner. Shane Leckler, the best punter in the history of the NFL. Yeah, mm-hmm. Janikowski was still a really good um, kicker at that time. So, it's like, come on. Mike. Drinking beer they, before they, the games. Right. My kind of guy. I was just going to say, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the, uh, the uh, playoff game against uh, – this was the divisional round against the Oakland Raiders at Foxborough Stadium, which was incredible. I, I mean, it just – everything about this game, and I'll, I'll tell a couple stories on this one, but everything about this game was just – Amazing! From the moment you woke up that day, and you got you you got ready for an eight p.m. game uh, with the the NFC game before it. It was just this day was just they win or lose. This day was awesome because it was the last game ever at Foxborough Stadium, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. Thank God, by the way. But yeah, Mike, what were you going to say? Foxborough Stadium was was a dump. Like think about. I mean, when you when you think about like like this game for everybody, obviously like. We know what it did for the Patriots, but this this game uh, altered the 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 trajectory for John Gruden. He he's no longer. He, I mean, he's out, right? I mean, uh, Raiders and fall apart after the next season. But for but for me, it's like when you look at the uh, when you just if you're on the Patriots sideline and you look across, and now you're playing a playoff game in January, and Jerry fucking Rice is on the on the opposing sideline. Mm-hmm. That's enough to scare me. Like. You are looking at a guy who who has won it all with Montana, with Rice, and now is on the verge of doing it again. And the, the game almost got out of hand. Where, I mean, that, that tuck rule, had it not happened to the Patriots, I mean, it, I, I don't think Belichick would have known with the amount of confidence that he did that it, was, it wasn't a fumble, right? Like, there was some – again, if that doesn't happen in, in the Jets game in week two – Mm-hmm. Like we're not even talking about this uh, right. uh, in, in the divisional game. So I mean, we already did the category about like the, the moment you knew, but like this this game, what, it was nut cutting time for the Patriots, and 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 they just stayed. They never ever stopped. Right, and that's and that's what what kind of stood out against the past Patriots history that we had seen is that exactly that they didn't stop. You know, they were down in that game. That game. 
even before that tuck rule happened, the Patriots had already clawed back into that great game on the Brady rush, uh, which is one of the best, best pictures I've ever seen him spiking the ball into four feet of snow and not even being able to stand on his feet. He was so pumped. Yep. Going into that drive, you know, that, that was supposed to be Brady's moment. We were ready for it. And then all of a sudden, Charles Woodson takes a blitz off the right side, hits Brady from behind. And let's be honest, guys, he fumbled the ball. He no, fumbled he the ball. Yes, he, no, he didn't. So, by rule, he didn't no, fumble the ball. No, by rule, he did not fumble. And, and yeah. Belichick and Brady instantly knew. That's like if you go back and watch America's game, they never even questioned there was a fumble, those two. Everyone else was like, well, what could happen? The fans were going well, nuts. I, well, actually, no, Brady, 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 yeah, Brady, Brady was kind of so-so about it. Um, I mean, I remember being devastated personally, but I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. like, I can't believe like we got this close. Like we've had a magical year, and just like that, it could be it could be over. Um, but I mean, you know, thankfully that happened. So maybe maybe Bill was probably the only person in, in the um, in the uh, what do you call it in the stadium that knew. But I think Brady was kind of fifty fifty. Like I said, he, he said it on the documentary himself. Like it, I, I don't think it was so um, so clear cut as we as we came to know it. But you mm-hmm. know, thank God <laughs> that it was you know it was something that we. Um, you know, that it ruled in our favor and, you know, and win the game behind that. One one thing that Bill Belichick has always known, and probably longer than he was ever the coach of the New England Patriots, is he knew the ins and outs of the rule book from top to bottom. And as Mike mentioned, probably went to the official and said, wait a minute, this happened to us. This literally happened to us. And I'm not saying we need this to go our way, but what I'm saying is, whoever you're talking to, because this was really when reviewing plays came to the forefront. This was kind of mm-hmm. one of the yeah. things that, that this is when the NFL looked at it and said, Oh shoot, maybe we should start looking at these things. And, and at that point, wasn't that, that was, that was a ref review too. Brady didn't, uh, Belichick didn't even challenge that. Right. Did they even have the capability to challenge at that point? Or was it just the refs at that point? I, I think it, I think didn't the Patriots call a timeout? Yeah, yes. and Bel- and Belichick went and and asked for it, and I remember this being a long review. I mean, this took a long time, but it was partially because Belichick was in the ear of the official the entire freaking time. So, I mean, it, it, he gets in the ear of the official. He starts talking to him about rule book, and they go and look. And you know, Bobby, we got to bring you back to two thousand one and get you out of Dallas for a second. That is. That is that is not a fumble, and I, I get why you would say right Although, now it is, a it is now. It is that, now. That's, that's what I meant. Uh, it is now. It is now because they've changed the rule. But in the 2001 yeah. season, the way the rule was written, it was not. It's yeah. not a rule because he was pulling the ball down and giving himself up essentially. So so that's basically what what the ruling was. So you go into this game and you look at this and, and, and again, this is one of my favorite games of this entire season and not because it was the last game, but because of everything I remember from this day. And it's just, Mike's absolutely right. When you look across that sideline and you see Jerry Rice and you see Tim Brown and you, I mean, you're, you're, that was a good team. I mean, you're talking about the Rams being a good team. The Patriots beat two really good teams this playoffs to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, Mm -hmm. and not only that, we're going to get to the, the Pittsburgh game in a moment, but I mean, what a, what a tale of two different 
weather patterns too. I yeah. mean, this game, and I, I always, I got to share the story because it's one of my favorite. And I, I got a few coming for the playoffs, but this, I was 13 at the time. We were sitting in the parking lot. I remember watching the Eagles play the, the Packers in the NFC divisional round on this tiny little TV we had set up in the car. And I was with my, my father and, and my godfather and one of their friends, and they all got up and went to the bathroom. And at the time they got up to go to the bathroom, I was sitting in a lawn chair with a blanket over me, no snow. They come back not 15 minutes later, I have two and a half inches of snow on me. That's how hard that snow was coming (laughs) down that day. And it was fluffy. It was cold. It was fluffy snow. And that day was brutal. And this was a night game. So it was just getting colder. And it snowed all night long. From beginning to end. Yep. From beginning to end. Never stop. And, and we're, we're literally talking all day. And there's mm-hmm. only been one other game that I've been to where it's been snowier than that game, and that was against Miami in 2006. But this Raiders game, I mean, you're talking about the snow, the cold. You get into the stadium. You see Jerry Rice. You see Tim Brown. You see, as Rayshon said, Rich Gannon, who was one of the best quarterbacks in the league at the time, which is amazing to say now. Um and it's amazing because I look at it. It's, it says game weather, 19 degrees, heavy snow. Jesus. Yeah, Walt the heaviest of snows. Walt Coleman was the official. He's still yep. an official today. He's uh, out there on his little scooter. Let's go back to the tuck rule. And they call they call the tuck rule, which sets up a drive for Brady. He didn't have to get him far because he was already in Oakland territory at the time. Mm-hmm. So they figure out what the heck's going on. Uh, Woodson's going nuts. I'll never forget Charles Woodson on the sideline. Going, I'm, I'm yeah. saying, like Gruden and his teammates had to hold him back. He was absolutely livid that this ball was given back to the Patriots. And I, while it wasn't a fumble, I don't blame him. I don't blame right. him for the emotion. Uh, the the day, what was happening in the game, the weather, mm-hmm. the way it was going, and that really just it changed. It everything right and and you were you were there so you didn't hear it live but gino's soundbite for that fumble is definitely one of the best soundbites in patriots history how 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 homer he is for that entire time everything that happens in that sequence will go down in patriots history here well all right patriots keep the ball nothing better so they go down vinatieri kicks at that moment one of the best field goals. I, I can't even imagine what this must have been like live, Joe. So you definitely have to go into that. But that's mo- one of the most impressive kicks I've ever seen in my entire life. Four, 47 in the snow against the wind? 42. Is that right? 42? 42. Still. Because uh, he had two 40-plus yard field goals um, in in that game. And, you know, you're right. I mean, you sit there and you, you see them get the ball back, and now you're like, all right, this can happen. And they come downfield again. They didn't have to go down far, but they call a timeout. The Patriots call the timeout before this, and the only reason they call the timeout, and, of course, during this season, all you can hear is all the old guys in the stands, oh, it's 1982 all over again. They're going to bring out the snowplow. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna get the field ready for John Smith. The Patriots are going to win the game. And that's exactly why they called the timeout. And that was to get everybody. And there was, you saw Ty Law, you saw Lawyer Malloy, guys that were not on the special teams crew out there clearing snow off the natural surface at Foxborough Stadium to give Ken Walter a perfect spot to put this ball down because Lee Johnson was no longer the punter. Uh, I wonder why. 
it was that it's funny venetary kicks the game winning field goal and bill's like ah you're good lee johnson you're out of here but they gave him the best patch of grass that they could find in foxborough to to allow adam venetary to kick this game tying field goal and it, it it was literally Magical, and actually, the game winner was not forty plus yards, twenty three. But the, the the game winner was short. Yeah, the game yeah. winner was short. But this one was uh, forty five yards with twenty seven seconds left. And I mean, it, it just it changes in overtime because I'm reading the recap and I'm remembering it as it happens. But the one in overtime, it wasn't as many people clearing snow off. I wonder if no. the snow got a little light. It was just Walter and Venetary. I think at that point, everybody was like, "You got to do." Yeah, so he, yeah, you're good. He, he he just kicked it a mile into a blizzard, and <laughs> and right. he did it. It did it successfully, and like that kick, I think uh, aside from you know the next big kick that we're going to talk about, uh, I think this one is the greatest kick that I've ever seen because mm-hmm. we had not seen anything like that before uh, in New England. Um, the everything in terms of the weather was stacked against him. I mean, there, there's no plausible explanation as to why he made that kick, and. I never saw the ball come down. I mean, it just went. You couldn't see the ball come it, down. It just went straight. And then that sets that sets uh, up for overtime where, like, I think Brady's binky was Wiggins that entire game. Check down to Jermaine Wiggins. Check down to Wiggy. Jermaine Wiggins will tell you that, yeah. too. Yep. Yep. For sure, and that's and that's right. he's he's definitely one of my biggest nominations, which we'll get to at the end after talking about everything for that unsung hero, because Jermaine Wiggins came up huge time and time again in this playoff run, and this game was no shortage. You're definitely right there. Uh, now they win that game, uh, and like Joe, like we all said, most impressive kick we've ever seen in an entire life. <laughs> I, I still can't imagine what it was like to see in person, um, because seeing it on TV was was absolutely surreal to see that ball. Not even soaring. It was it was an absolute bullet was cutting cutting through the snow. And what's what's interesting about about Venetary is you you have to understand who Adam Venetary is. And if you if you ever get the chance, whether you're listening to this or one of the five of us, go and listen to uh, Pat McAfee talk about what his time was like in Indianapolis. When he got drafted, his second phone call was from Adam Vinatieri and Adam Vinatieri sent him to Holder's school, basically sent him to Holder's school to learn how to hold the ball properly for field goals. And guess who the, the camp was run by? Was it Walter? Ken Walter. Ken Walter ran the camp because Ken Walter told Pat McAfee, like, you've seen what this guy has done in his career. And if you're not perfect, it's your fault. He'll miss yeah. kicks. He will miss kicks. But if you don't hold it perfectly, that's going to be on you. So, you know, and that's how Venetary was even back then. And Venetary will give Ken Walter so much credit for everything he did during his career. And and rightfully so, because Ken Walter, I, I loved Ken Walter myself. But, um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Bobby. I mean, the, 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 the game-winning field goal against the Raiders. Um, it's not as impressive as the 45-yarder in the middle of a blizzard into the wind. I mean, it's really not. But, I mean, man, this game this game is where I personally knew, like, if, if you you watch the, the Rams game in Week 10, this win right here, that 23-yard field goal went through, and my 13-year-old mind said, this team can't be stopped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, like, that um, the overtime – kick obviously like quote unquote meant more, but it really didn't. 
uh, if you if you really think about it, don't think with your brain, but think with like your heart and your gut. That time kick, that forty-five or forty-seven yard bomb. The minute that he kicked it, you knew it went through, and you knew that there's nothing that any that, that the Raiders could do in that game that was going to make them win. It, it, it was over. It, 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 it killed them. It defeated them instantly. And this game is exactly one of the reasons why this podcast exists. You think oh, yeah. about this yes. game, there's, there, there's so many memories, there's so many feelings, there's so many things that go into this game, and it's exactly why we created this. Memories like Joanne Druzy making a snow angel in the snow after they win this game. Tom Brady yeah. falling face first into the snow. The tuck. You know, the Raiders being absolutely dejected on the sideline. There's so many feelings and emotions that made this game just to this day. There hasn't been a game to me personally. I mean, granted, with being a Cowboys fan, I don't know, you know, I haven't had emotions like this in a football game in a very long time. That's exactly why this was created for games just like this, because it, that game was so awesome. It, it's something that talking about it or experiencing <laughs> it once just wasn't enough like that was my favorite part about doing all this research everything we did was re-watching that football game because it was snow football and it was one of the best football games i've ever seen in my life also if there was one stadium that did not deserve such a great (laughs) send-off it was foxborough stadium worst stadium in the league and and worst stadium in the country and and, they tapped it and it fell down they were just like (laughs) down bobby (laughs) to, to go back to what you just said about about the the, the Patriots and the, this game being um, the the best in in history. I mean, we we think about what we've seen in the last twenty years. Um, we see what we've seen most recently, and this game is why um, so many games in the last 20 years have meant so much because there's never been anything like this. I've never felt emotion about another Super Bowl. Uh, well, 2007, but we won't talk about it. It's a different emotion. It's a different emotion. That's it's a different elation. show. Yeah. It, it is a different show. It's elation. It's, it is absolute yeah. euphoria of holy crap. They literally can do this. They, they just, they've done the unthinkable. At this point, what, what nobody thought they could do, they've turned around a five and 11 season. They've won a playoff game at home in the snow against a great coach and a great team. Um, and, and there's, I know we've had some great moments since then. I know we've had the best comeback in Super Bowl history. I, I know we've won five more after this, but getting back in the capsule and going back, I've never felt emotion. <clears throat> about the games we're about to get to these last two games of the 2001 season. I've never felt these emotions about any other game, any other Super Bowl the Patriots have won. Let me put it this way. I've never felt so strongly than this one. I, I Joe, Joe, I can hear it, man. I can literally hear it in your voice right now. The And I, and I completely agree with you in, in that first feeling of of Boston triumphant almost because up until this point we had known nothing but failure which kind of is what makes what makes this game so special because it was that first moment in Boston history where we were like holy shit 
this actually just happened to us. Like we actually caught a break. We actually got that call. We actually hit that game winning field goal instead of something awful happening at the last second that makes us fall to our knees and cry. It was actually a happy, memorable Boston sports moment, which is what makes it go down in history. This launches so much. In the last so much. Years. This yeah. this this season launches so much for the four major sports teams in Boston. Right, Sean, you're you're like ready to bust over there. Right. So, so I mean, I was obviously uh, I'm I'm in I'm in my house doing the same snow angel. Um, on my again, getting it was, it was and, and I, yeah, getting getting rug burns in my mother's house. She's like, "What are you doing?" So, <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, "No, I'm like I'm like, I have to correct Bob." Ray, I got to correct Bob. It was Lonnie Paxton. Yeah, it was Lonnie Paxton. Lonnie Paxton, that's yeah. right. Lonnie Paxton, that's yeah. right. Yeah, because he, he did it for both. But yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, like I was like, get 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 off my front, whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, they won. They really won. <laughs> like I, I can't believe they won. But then, like uh, like a day later, reality hit. It was like, oh, <laughs> we, we're, we're we're facing Pittsburgh, <laughs> Bettis. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, my my non my non favorite other non favorite picture uh, player Cordell Stewart, aka Slash, Slash um, man. You know, um, you know, you know, in Missouri, Jason Gilden. Um, I don't know if Troy Porter was on that team yet, but um, they 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 had they had some guys, and I'm like, man, like, you know, um, for what my mom told me about the Steelers at the time, because she's a, she was a kid in the '70s, the Steelers were football, you know, royalty. And it's yep. just like, you know, because she was talking about me, Joe Green and Elsie Greenwood and, and Lynn Swan and um uh I wanna say John no John Terry, right? That's here for that's here for yeah, Terry Bradshaw. And T B twelve. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah, the original yeah. The original yeah, the, 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 the original one, yeah. And um so I was like, man, I'm like, well, you know, how how are we going to, to beat these guys? Um, you know, so but you know, thankfully we did. So I think we should get into that. Right. No, for sure. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. I just have one thing because I think we talked about like, we've all said like this win was the win that like is the most important one for all of us over the next 20 years of the Patriots. And I think the reason that it is, is because every game after this, because of this game, we had the belief that we could win. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. even if the odds were stacked, even if it was the worst weather, you were going against perennial hall of famers. It did not matter. The Patriots can win, and when they didn't, that's when like we we would all be like, "Oh, that they choked this game." It's because of this. It's because of the snowball that we all had that belief. Yeah, agreed. Wait, which because... is also amazing because the next game we're about to talk about was sunny and fifty degrees in the middle of January <laughs> in Pittsburgh. Right, Bye. which is which which. We just write in. So with the Steelers, that team, Rayshon, to go back. So this was their lineup. This this was a phenomenal Steelers football team. All right. Starting Bill quarterback, Cowher, Cordell right. Stewart. Stewart yeah. Bill Cower, coach, running back, Jerome Bennis. They're two wide receivers. Plaxico Burris and Heinz Ward. This is when Plaxico Burris was a 23-year-old athletic freak wide receiver. So he wasn't just a possession end zone guy. He was when it got to 2007. This was the athletic. And then the defense, the defense, Rayshon, you were right. Joey Porter was there. Casey Hampton, Earl Holmes, Chad Scott, Kendrell Bell, Dwayne Washington, Lee Flowers. This team was Stacked. Stacked. So stacked, so stacked that they knew they were going to the Super Bowl. So much so that the entire team, family, coaches, everyone involved in that organization packed their bags. They had had a hotel reservation. They had everything ready. 
and 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 Bill Belichick, because the genius he is, used this to his advantage, like he would do again. This this is now. something we've stated right. Something we've stated so many times in this podcast. Something that has happened so many times over the course of this dynasty. It's funny when you look back on it and you see all those things that he did in that first season that they won this Super Bowl that he continues to do and he has always done, which is what has made him that coach. And that's use people's confidence and cockiness against them. I think after like after like the the hardest week of preparation for a team that Bill Belichick could have possibly put on his own players for another team, he he started off the Saturday meeting. I'm pretty sure it was the beginning or he ended it with just to let you know uh, the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers players are going to be planning on staying at this hotel. Their family and all of their friends will be flying in on this day mm-hmm. to the hotel. Just just thought you guys should know that. Yeah, like, just information that was important. If I was a player, I would have been living. You, you and they see, were. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's what's the best about this is that, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of John Gruden. Uh, I'm a big fan of Bill Cowher. I'm a big fan of Mike Martz. I mean, not only did we run through three of the best teams with players, speaking like player, player personnel-wise, these were three of the best coaches in yeah, the NFL at the time. Yeah. Like, these are dudes. Like, we're, <clears throat> we're not talking about some – Dumb coach. I had another word, but I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, <laughs> like, NSFW, we're, come on. We're, 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 talking, <laughs> we're talking about three of the best coaches in the NFL at the time, and, and none of them, none of them counted the Patriots in. I mean, Oakland, um, Oakland probably had, uh, you know, their ticket punched to, to Pittsburgh because the Patriots were the two seed, the, the Steelers were the one seed. They probably had their, their tickets punched to go to Pittsburgh. They were ready to go, but guess yeah. what? Now the Patriots, as Mike just said, the Patriots are telling everybody that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to New Orleans for the Super Bowl. Right, right. And and that game wasn't that close, to be honest. They, they, they beat the Steelers pretty handily. You know what I mean? There was a couple moments in there, um, which we'll get to in a second, but but they 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 – beat them pretty good and they handled a lot of adversity in that situation too, which brings me right to my next point, which Tom Brady in this game, I believe it was second quarter goes down with the ankle sprain. Uh, all of a sudden, guess who's coming in? All of a sudden we think it's all over. Like it's a storybook. I remember looking at, I was at my aunt's house watching the television. And I remember the way that Brady fell. And he was laying with his leg bent, and it was mm-hmm. his ankles that was underneath that player. And I was like, "Oh my, like oh 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 my god!" I just like this can't be happening. This can't be happening. And but but it wasn't. It can't be happening. It was of course this is happening. Of course this is happening. After yep. after that Oakland game, after what we saw, after how we felt that that triumphant feeling that we finally got. All of a sudden, we were being punched right in the gut again, in and we were going to be losers. Boston was going to be at the bottom on the front page of the sports page again, saying Patriots blew it. But guess it what? Walks Drew Bledsoe. But forget guess super, what? Forget Super Cam. It's Super Drew. Right. And that's not what happened. All right. Drew Bledsoe comes off the bench, and and Joe, I'm sure you have the stats up in front of you, but he he lights up the Steelers in that second half, and he throws in what goes down in Patriots history as one of the best 
fade route passes I have ever seen in my entire life. That that pass to Patton was un. There was no one else that could have caught that pass. He put it in the only spot that he could have, and that's what won them that game. And it made Bledsoe actually get his storybook portion of this season. However, before that, Bledsoe starts scrambling to his right, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. runs to the sideline, and gets walloped in a Mo Lewis Jr. type hit. And every Patriot fan out there was like gasping. And what does Bledsoe do? He jumps up, slaps guys on the shoulder pads, and it was like, let's let's, let's, back on the field. And I was like, Drew's at home going, here comes Damon Heward. Yeah, 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 that's but the look yeah, that, yeah. like he's not playing. He's not playing. Right, exactly. And that's I mean, I, I was I remember I was like, Yeah, I was like, Yeah, Drew. Let's go, Drew. And then um, <laughs> but the the, the play that I, I was at my grandma's house, but the, the play the play that I remember the most really wasn't the wasn't the patent uh touchdown. I know where so it, was Troy, it, 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 no, it, yep. it was the Troy Brown. Yep. yep. Uh hey. turn. when he hit that, I said, Oh, I said, right up the ball. middle. Right up the middle. I was like, right up the middle. I said, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to New Orleans. It's over. Like, I was like, yo, because I mean, I, yeah, I was like, wow. When, when he scored, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's it. Set, set before him home. Set him home. before you go, Joe, I, that again, it attests to how good that coaching staff was because coming into that game, they knew the soft spot of that Steelers special team was straight up the middle. Yep. They knew if Troy Brown got five steps and the blocks got set up up the middle of that punt, punt return defense, it was all over. He was gone, and mm-hmm. he sure was. This was the next moment where not only did I know we were going to the Super Bowl. Sorry, I not my mic over. I knew I was going to the Super Bowl. So we, uh, my, my father actually had tickets for the 96 Super Bowl against the Packers. I was um, eight, seven, eight years old at the time. And he was like, ah, we, we can't do this. We sold them. So I told him, I said, in 2001, I remember leaving the, the Raiders game. I said, Dad, if we win this lottery again, man, we got to go. Like, we got to go. And he said, yes, right there and that, then there. It, it, no question. And I was like, hell yeah. And that kick, he walked up behind me. Uh, Troy Brown runs into the end zone. I, I'll re- I remember it like it was yesterday. Walks right up to me, puts his hand on my left shoulder, and says, we're going to New Orleans. Not the Patriots. Us. Yeah. And I was like, hell yeah. Like, I'm a 13-year-old kid about to go Dude. to New Super Bowl. Like, win or lose, this is going to be freaking awesome. Like, I'm going to see my team play in the Superdome in the Super Bowl. Dude, that's 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 an unreal feeling that I I can't even imagine. Mike, I'm sure you're about to say the same exact thing. Yeah, I was gonna say I I, could, I can't even like believe I couldn't even like uh, begin to imagine like what would it what would be going through my head if that was if that were the case. But I also has there ever been a player in NFL history that was better at punt returning just by running straight than Troy Brown? Because nope. he wasn't he wasn't east to west. He was north south and he was just going. And I always love that about him. That special team, like the 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 Steelers special teams unit, harder like the red freaking seat. Like they just didn't they didn't know what to do, and all they did was run straight. <clears throat> and and I, I mean, not he was another selfless guy, and we learned this yeah. throughout the rest of his career that he didn't care what he did. I mean, we saw Troy Brown punt return, kick return, wide receiver, defensive back, he linebacker, safety. Like this dude played any. He played quarterback at one point for a player too. Like the the yeah. guy was just in so the versatile. season actually. <laughs> he and did. That's right. Yeah. Nobody, no, nobody questioned him because he was just a, a selfless. Um, New England Patriot, like he was Mr. Patriot. 
Like he was the first. Was, he was the first. He was the first there, Mr. Patriot. There is a few Mr. Patriots that came down the line. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Again, once 2003 hit, Patriots knowledge is out the door. But he was that first Mr. Patriot, the do-it-all. What do you need me to do, Bill? <clears throat> I'll go do it. Um, I, I, I would just argue, and I don't really want to argue on this show, but for me, Mr. Patriot is, is still blood so. Because if Troy Brown is told okay. that there's someone else that's a – that's a younger kid. He's he's not as good. He's unproven. We're gonna we're gonna go with him instead of you. I don't think it's the same result. And I, that's not a slight on Troy Brown. That's fair. It's just I, I think I think Bledsoe is Mr. Patriot. This concludes part one of the two part premiere of this New England Championship rewrap. Join us all next week for the conclusion as we go into some of the memories, shed a few tears, and experience something we all thought was impossible: a speechless moment from Joe Malcolm. All that and more as we wrap up the most memorable season and maybe the most important game in Boston sports history, Super Bowl 36. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Give us a follow on social media. All the links to our pages will be in the show notes below. For the rest of the Sunday Night Sports Rap crew, I'm the real BK Bob Kelly. We'll see you next week. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electric acid.